Welcome to Last First State Radio, featuring interviews with experts in dating, relating, and mating in midlife. And now, here's your host, Sandy Weiner. This is episode number 395, Rabbi Manus Friedman on how to date for marriage. Hello, everybody. This is Sandy Weiner. Welcome to Last First Date Radio, where we believe it is never too late for love and that a woman of value naturally attracts the respect and rewards she deserves in life and love. What is a woman of value? She's someone who knows her worth, and she shows up, stands up, and speaks up. Every week, I bring you a tip on how to become that woman of value, and this week's tip is be firm about your standards. It's really important to know what your standards are and not to let them go. Most of the issues that I see in dating and relationships happen when we widen our standards and we let things go that are important to us. So my challenge to you listeners this week is to figure out what those standards are, four or five things that you must have in a relationship and do not waver on those things. Before I bring on Rabbi Friedman, I want to just remind everybody that I have a free Facebook group. It's called Your Last First Date. And it's a group that is for women over 40 who are dating or in relationships and want to grow. This is a positive growth movement. Um, So this is not a place to come and just complain. We don't tolerate that. This is a place for growth and for sharing and for supporting one another. So come to Your Last First Date on Facebook. And now for my guest, Rabbi Manus Friedman. He is a world-renowned author. He's a counselor, a lecturer, and a philosopher. He uses ancient wisdom and modern wit as he captivates his audiences around the country and around the world. He has started an organization called It's Good to Know, and it reaches thousands of people every month through his online classes and events. His first book, Doesn't Anyone Blush Anymore, was published by Harper San Francisco in 1990, and it is widely praised and is currently in its eighth printing. His next book and documentary have also been met with praise, and he is a noted biblical scholar recognized for his serious grasp of Jewish mysticism. Welcome to the show, Rabbi Friedman. Thank you, thank you. So you've been advising people about dating for over 50 years, and I know that the dating culture is so different today than it was back when you started. So how do you see dating shifting today? Well, I hope it's shifting. (laughs) It started back in the 60s when people decided that uh, we're taking intimacy way too seriously too many rules, too many taboos, too many, too much. And we should lighten it up and we should just have a little fun. It's not that serious. It's just natural. And uh, we opted for free love. Turns out that free love means free of intimacy, free of significance, free of commitment, free of all meaning. And now we're finding out, it took a while, now we're finding out that you can't fool Mother Nature. And it's terrible. The lack of intimacy and the lack of respect for intimacy is causing all sorts of troubles. So the first thing, the most important thing is, do we understand what intimacy means And do we know how to promote it, cultivate it, protect it, pursue it, and have it? We don't. So, yeah. Um. (laughs) And the most painful symptom is that people in relationships, people who are happily married, will complain that they feel completely alone in the world. And that that should not happen. Mm-hmm. If a marriage can't make that feeling go away, then nothing can. And when marriage doesn't make that feeling go away, it's because they're not really achieving intimacy. They're just living side by side. Right, which is the case for many, many, many people. So let's go to what is intimacy and then how do we cultivate it? 
Okay. So I think the first thing is that in that list you were talking about, um, what are your values, stick to your values, and so on. Love should not be on your list because love is not a value. Love can be very selfish. It can be toxic. It can be, it can be destructive. Love is not a value. Love is a pleasure. It's an enjoyable experience. It is not a value. Loving somebody doesn't make you good. So goodness and love are really very separate things. But we have this culture that worships love as if love is the solution to everything. And wherever there's a problem, it's only because there isn't enough love. Whether it's a marriage or children, more love, that's all we need, just love. And that is so Hollywood, and it's so hollow and shallow. So here's, here's the, the secret. Intimacy means the ability that we have, which I think is absolutely divine, it's barely human, but we do have this ability to actually blend, to melt into another person until we become one. Love does not do that. Love is a personal, not interpersonal experience. I love, I love you. You may not even know it. You may not want it. So love, when I feel the love, that, that's, that's me entertaining myself. I'm using you as the object of my love, but this is personal. Only I am benefiting from this. Now, when it's mutual love, the timing is perfect. I love you, you love me. We're both doing our own thing and we're remaining separate beings. Now, if a person says, this is really funny. If like, let's say a man says to a woman, I want to marry you for your money. She has money, he likes money, perfect. <laughs> and he's honest about it. He says, I want to marry you for your money. Is that offensive? If they both agree, why not? Why not? <laughs> but I would not be surprised if during the marriage they each feel alone in the world, because they are. So what is offensive about, I, I, I want to marry you for your money? Most people say, well, what if the money goes away? Yeah. So if I want to marry you for love, that's better? What if the love goes away? And it's more likely that the love go away <laughs> than the money. So if I say I want to marry you for your money, everybody's offended. But if I say I want to marry you out of love, everybody thinks it's beautiful. It's not. It's exactly the same thing. I want to marry you in order to get something. Whether it's money or love makes no difference. Because either way, if I say I want to marry you for your money, what I'm really saying, thinly disguised, what I'm really saying is, can I just have the money? Do I really have to marry you to get the money? <laughs> just give me the money. If I say I want to marry you out of love, all I want is love. Can I just have the love without the rest of you? Like your opinions, your moods, your needs, your personality. I don't want any of that. I just want the love. It is, it is offensive. And it does not bring us together. So intimacy means the ability to merge by removing all things that come between us. And shockingly, the things that come between us most 
is not money. The thing that is ruining most marriages and relationships is sex and love. Because they are both things we take from each other and we don't bother loving the rest. Sex separates us, it does not bond us. Love separates us, it doesn't bond us. I mean, once you think about it, it is so obvious. So this young couple come and they say, we're in love and we want to get married. Would you do the marriage, the wedding? And I said, you're in love? They said, yeah. I said, then too late. <laughs> if you already have the love, what are you getting married for? You're getting married for love. You already have the love. What else do you need? So you're saying, I'm going to commit myself to you because I love you. Well, that's a ridiculous plan. I don't want the rest of you. I just want your love, but I'm committing myself to the rest of you, which I don't love. Not a good idea. Well, how do you know they don't love the rest of them? Well, if the love goes away, there is nothing left. There is no relationship, nothing. You're a total stranger when I stop loving you. And that's why if the love goes away, we're divorced. It's over. Because there's nothing else. So if a man says, I love everything about my wife, they're in trouble. He loves everything about her. He doesn't need her. So just give me the money, give me the love, give me the sense of humor, give me the services, the goodies that I'm getting, and I'll be happy. The rest of you, I really don't need. So, you know, it's, it's really nasty. And you can't fool Mother Nature. So we're starting to realize we're, marriage is not doing what it's supposed to do. We're living side by side, and we are very lonely. That's painful. Correct. So people are listening and going, I have no idea what he's talking about. <laughs> um, because, you know, you start out with all this love, and you love every part of the person, and, and you're attracted to them, and all the good stuff, and you think, this is enough. And then you have arguments and then you lose the money and then you change jobs and then you move and then you have kids and then things change. And what is your relationship? So how do you know those things when you're starting out? How do you know if you're going to be able to deal with change and transition and everything being different than you think? Well, if you're already in love, you will never know. Because love is blind. So love does not help, does not lead to marriage in any way at all. The first thing is, if you're going to get married, you have to be enamored with marriage. If you don't like the idea of marriage, but you're very in love with someone, don't get married. Don't do something you don't want. So if a man says, I never really thought of marriage, I'm not the marrying type, but you are so fantastic, you are so incredible, you are married. No, don't do it. Don't do it. I mean, those marriages can work out, so why not do it? They could or they could not. You have no basis for it. So it's Russian roulette. So this, you're saying because this person doesn't believe in the institution, but this person happened to come along and sway him, and now he's in love. Yes. If you don't believe in it and you don't like it, don't do it. <laughs> you are so amazing, you all marry. No, nobody is that amazing. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and it's not fair to put the whole weight of the relationship on your being amazing. That is such a terrible condition. Right. You better remain amazing. <laughs> right. Not into this marriage thing. <laughs> so it's really not fair.
Yeah. So, I mean, I had a woman once who said one of her must-haves was that he play golf. And I said, that's great. Now, what happens if he breaks his leg and he can't play golf anymore? What happens if that's taken away? Is that cause for divorce? <laughs> I mean, um, yeah. So, so something that I'm thinking of as you're talking is, is valuing the bigger picture. It's valuing the relationship itself rather than just the person. Because if you, if you look at what's, what's the most important thing is that even when we are not happy, even when we have a coronavirus and we have to be isolated and stay at home and be in each other's presence 24 seven, we're still going to prioritize kindness and respect and, and listening and all the things that are important to keeping a relationship alive. That should happen without the corona. Correct. <laughs> <laughs> it shouldn't be forced on us. But yeah, that's, that is the idea. Uh, this woman said, I've been praying. I've been praying so hard and, and, and God is not answering me. I said, what have you been praying for? She said, I've been praying to meet a nice guy. I said, you have met many nice guys. <laughs> God has answered your prayer. Now what do you want? <laughs> well, I want to fall in love. I want to fall in Yes, you've, you've had that. Now what do you want? Why don't you ask for what you really want? And what you really want is, this time next year, I should have a family of my own. If that's not what you want, then you're not thinking marriage. So all relationships that are not marriage are destructive. They're unhealthy, they're misleading, they're like an alternative lifestyle that is not really life. It's like a, an imitation of life. It's like a mock marriage. I don't know what it is, a temporary marriage, a quasi-marriage. It's nothing but trouble. Marriage is the way to go. If you believe that, then get married. If not, then don't. And good luck, because the only solution to aloneness is a good marriage. Real intimacy. You can't be one with your parents or with your children, as much as you love them and as much as they love you. Your parents have each other. You're number three. You're not number one. The only relationship in which you are number one is a good marriage. So there's that line, I think it's brilliant, from the song Piano Man. They're sharing a drink they call loneliness, but it's better than drinking alone. <laughs> that is brilliant. There's a difference between lonely and alone. Loneliness you can share. A bunch of lonely people get together and they share their loneliness. But aloneness, it's, it's even physically dangerous. It weakens your immune system. You become vulnerable to every <laughs> virus because you're alone and it's not good to be alone. Not good on any level. So on the one hand, we are the most sociable of generations. And on the other hand, we're the most lonely. Yeah. No, it's an epidemic, the loneliness. Terrible. Yes. And people don't know what to do. Um, okay. So my first message is, love is not the answer. Mm -hmm. Love is not the solution. Love is not even important. The way we should think about love is that anyone or anything that is important to your life, you should love. If it's not important to your life, no matter how much you love it, it's chocolate. And you can live without chocolate, although you wouldn't want to. I wouldn't you want to. Without, you, would, you can live without chocolate. So those who are important in your life will always be important, whether you love them or not. 
and those who are not important, like a girlfriend, a boyfriend, a, a roommate, no matter how much you love them, they're not important. You can't fool Mother Nature. And in fact, it's, it's really nasty. When I love you, you are the most important thing in the world. When I stop loving you, you're garbage. How offensive is that? So, love has become literally a, a false god. We worship it, we kill for it, we die for it. It's a, it's a false god and it will disappoint you. So stop with the love. Find a person who believes in marriage, who wants to have a family of their own by this time next year. Anything longer than that is not realistic. So if you want to be married, pick a date on the calendar, like June, June 15th to be exact. Mark it on your calendar. The next time you meet a man or a woman, take out your calendar on the first date and say, I'm scheduled for June 15th. <laughs> All the women say, oh, you can't do that. They'll run away. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Those who are not ready to get married by June 15th are not serious about marriage. So let them run away. At least you don't waste time with them. Another suggestion. Don't date anyone. Don't date them. I don't even know what that means. Meet a few times. Decide whether you want to get married. If you do, then marry them. If you don't, then call it off. No relationship should last more than three months. Because after three months, if you don't know you want to marry each other, then you don't want to marry each other. <laughs> what are you pursuing? <laughs> uh, so I, I have something to say here. Um, I know that, you know, I was raised as an Orthodox Jew. I know that this is very common in the Orthodox Jewish world that meets for marriage. Um, and probably in many other traditions as well. Um, it's, there are people who can put on a good show for a couple months. You don't see somebody through stress necessarily. You don't see how they are when, when things are not all sunny and wonderful. You maybe don't have arguments with them and you don't see how they handle differences. How do you account for that in three months? It's a very sensible argument. For some strange reason, dating for a year, two years, three years, doesn't seem to make any difference. The divorce rate just goes up, not down. So there's something, something is not being taken into account. The really big challenge, the scary thing is, no matter how long you know someone who you're not married to, you have no idea how they're going to react to a marriage. Yeah. That's really scary. Yeah. The nicest guy in town is the most horrible husband. The most popular woman is, is a monster at home. I don't know why marriage does that to people. <laughs> But you're putting people in a pressure cooker. <laughs> that's right. That's right. I mean, so, you know, it's so the true test of human nature is yes. how you live with somebody. Exactly. But living together for six years and then deciding to get divorced, to get married, the chances of your getting divorced are very high. So I, I don't know about six years. I, you know, to me, watching somebody go through crisis, watching how they handle stress, even traffic. You know, I say take somebody out in a car and put them in traffic and you can tell their nature and see how somebody is when they have a few drinks. See how somebody is, you know, when their money 
is stressed. And that usually happens on the second date. <laughs> I mean, I've been on Any traffic is traffic. Yeah. I mean, I've been on dates. I purposely set dates up so that I'll find out a lot about a person. And I think a lot of people don't really get to know people. Yeah. So, so let's talk about that because you're meeting somebody and a lot of people have no idea how to really find out about a person. They don't get into conversations that really show a person's values and it can feel like an interrogation, especially if you take a calendar out and say, hey, I'm scheduled here. <laughs> Either you're in the picture or you're not. So what do you suggest people do in order to develop more intimate conversation? I think the first thing is to, to not try to be intimate. That's way too much pressure. And since you're not married to each other, you are strangers. You should not be sharing any intimacies. <laughs> the guy you've dated for four times shouldn't know more about you than your mother. Because <laughs> next day he's going to walk away with that information. You know? <laughs> so stay very, um, stay very uh, practical, very factual, nothing intimate. Because you don't want to get hurt. And this is a total stranger you're talking to, even after a few months of dating. So don't, don't try to, to, to open up too much and don't expect the other to open up too much. You're two strangers checking each other out, which is perfectly okay. Now, in addition to finding out whether or not he's a serial killer, good thing to know in advance. Oh yeah. <laughs> You shouldn't be dating him if you don't already know that. What are you, picking up men in bars? Before you date anyone, you find out something about them. They have friends. They live alone on an island. Now, who are they? So you find out as much as you can before you even say yes to a cup of coffee. But here, I think, is the, is the important thing. A nice guy good guy, responsible, capable, why do you marry him? All the things we check out, he's, got, he's good, he's reliable, he's responsible, he's generous, he's, 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 he's respectful. All of that means that he is marriageable. Why are you gonna marry him? What is the clincher? What is this thing that tells you this is for me? I mean, if he's not a decent guy, then he's for nobody. Mm -hmm. If he's a decent guy, if she's a good woman, then she's marriageable. But why are you marrying her? Here's where we get to the chemistry, male-female chemistry. Good chemistry is very rare. When you meet someone and they have all the requirements and the chemistry is good, you get married. But what is good chemistry? Most people think good chemistry means I'm attracted to you and you're attracted to me. That, that is not an indication of anything special. A good looking woman who has a good character, everyone is gonna be attracted. A good-looking guy who's decent, what? It doesn't prove anything. Good chemistry means the woman sitting with this guy suddenly finds herself feeling really good about herself. She's comfortable being herself, being a woman. And he is sitting with a woman, and for the first time in his life, he actually feels like a man, and she's doing that. So he's bringing out the woman in her, and she's bringing out the man in him. That's good chemistry, and that's not going to happen very often. So when it does happen, you get married. Okay, so how do you define the woman bringing out the woman, and how do you define the man? Okay. This is a real crisis these days. 
with or without marriage, we have no idea what it is to be a man or a woman. Just that in a general description. A man says, I met this woman, she is amazing. She is so capable, she is so strong, she is so good. She, she's, she's, she's got it all. Something makes me hesitate, I don't know what it is. <laughs> I know what it is. She doesn't need you. A woman calls and says, I'm seeing this guy. He is the sweetest, the most gentle, the most kind, the most thoughtful, the most reliable. Why am I hesitating? Because <laughs> you can't decide whether you want to marry him or adopt him. <laughs> this is not bringing out the woman in you. It's bringing out the mother in you. So, if you reverse it, a man says, I'm going out with this woman. She's absolutely incredible. I want to take care of her for the rest of my life. Mm-hmm. Good chemistry. She says, going out with this guy he is so good he is so he's exactly what i need i'll follow him anywhere in other words she wants to be a wife he wants to be a husband mm -hmm. that's good chemistry but this crazy idea that a marriage is 50 50 partnership 50 50 what i'll be 50 percent male <laughs> <laughs> and you'll be 50% female? What, what is that? There is no 50-50. And we're not talking about who washes dishes. Get a dishwasher. <laughs> Amen to washing, that. <laughs> right? Washing dishes is neither male nor female. It's dishes. Somebody's got to do it, do it. But being 50-50... You got to be a hundred percent male and you got to be a hundred percent female. No 50 50. That makes a good marriage. So, what does that mean? That means the man has to find fulfillment and satisfaction in the ability to give, and the woman has to find satisfaction and contentment in the ability to receive, to nurture. Then they're in their element. And by the way, a giver and a receiver can merge and become one. Mm -hmm. Two givers will be at war all the time, and two receivers, nothing is ever gonna happen. <laughs> yeah. You have to have a male and a female, and then they can become one because they complete each other. So we need to relearn a lot of stuff. Yeah, which is confusing because of a lot of reasons. But one is that 50 years ago, when you started this work, <laughs> women depended on men much more for income and things like that, that it has changed drastically over the years. So when I work with women, I talk to them about really conveying that they still need a man, even though they can do everything by themselves. And otherwise, he doesn't feel needed, and he will not see his place in your life. And right. women walk around going, I got this, I can do it all, you don't have to carry my bag, you don't have to do anything, I can fix the light, I can, mm -hmm. and the guy's like, why she need me? So how do you see it? In, in That's a very good point. A man wants to do for a woman, not because he thinks she's an invalid. He wants to be the giver. Of course, she could be. It's not, it's not men having pity on women and trying to help them out of their predicament. I mean, did men really think that women can't open a door by themselves? Of course not. But if I could do it for you, then we have a relationship going. A woman who says, I can do it myself, I know you can do it yourself. 
<laughs> I wouldn't marry you if you couldn't. <laughs> <laughs> but it's my privilege to do it for you. I know you can go out and make money, but I want to do it for you so that you don't have to. And in reverse, men can fry an egg. Well, some men. <laughs> they don't need a cook or a chef. But if you serve me the food, we've got a relationship going. So of course I could do it myself. The point is, people who can do things for themselves are the ones who should be getting married. If the only reason I'm marrying is because I'm a shlomazel, you know, and I can't function by my own, on my own, that's not a good marriage. No. So people who are perfectly capable of independence are the ones who make the best marriages. Yeah, I agree with that. So we have most of our audiences, people in midlife, people who've been married, divorced, um, are dating again, and, and the dating scene is a little different. Um, they're not looking to start a family anymore. They're not you know, necessarily all looking for marriage, but for the ones who are, a lot of them don't believe that a good relationship exists and they value their independence because they have learned to be alone and they've learned to be happy alone. And if somebody's gonna be the wrong partner, then it's gonna make them feel lonelier. So what do you say to people like that? I think we, we, we work by, by some absolute assumptions. It is not good to be alone. You can, you're capable of being alone. Yeah, nobody said you can't. It's that it's not good. There is no goodness in being alone. There is some talent. Takes a little talent to be completely self-sufficient. But there's nothing good about it. Where's goodness? In fact, if you want to get biblical, why did God create the world? He is so perfect, he's so capable, he's so independent, he is so self-sufficient. Why would he create a world? Because he wanted to get married, because it's not good to be alone. It's not good to be alone. Not that you're not capable. God is certainly capable, and yet it's God who says, it's not good to be alone, especially when you're perfect. That's kind of like, <laughs> I am perfect. Mm -hmm. So what's new? Nothing. So where are you going? <laughs> Nowhere. <laughs> so what's going to happen? That's it. I'm perfect, which means I'm done. That's not good. So even God says... As perfect as I am, I don't want to be by myself. Not out of loneliness, but out of aloneness. Aloneness is just not good. There's no goodness. There's no, there's no humanity in it. So <clears throat> even after a, an unsuccessful marriage, which is very discouraging and frightening at the thought of doing it again, but certainly being alone is not the answer. I would even recommend that people never get married without a matchmaker, without someone running interference. You don't commit anything to each other. You meet, you talk, and you report to the middleman or woman, would you like to meet again? Would he like to meet again? You report to the middleman, the middleman transfers the message. So you meet again. You do not make a commitment, You even after the second date, you, you know, there's always someone in the middle so that nobody gets hurt. It also doesn't drag, because there's a third person here. 
so it doesn't drag for three years, and then he tells you he's not interested. It's very, very safe. It's very reasonable. It's responsible. It's in a way a little holy. So even if you're in your 40s and it feels a little funny to be using a matchmaker, it's a good idea. And a matchmaker doesn't have to be those professional yentis <laughs> who will never tell you the truth about anything. It can be in anyone, a friend, a relative, anyone who simply will be objective and will transfer the messages so that, for example, the guy never proposes marriage unless he knows that the answer is going to be yes. And how does he know? From the matchmaker. He never promises a second date or asks for a second date, not knowing whether she wants to have a second date. Don't put her on the spot. So it's very, it's very respectful. It's painless. Nobody gets hurt. Nobody gets insulted. It's just, it's just decent. We're talking about somebody who really knows how to do matchmaking. And I would say, just as a caveat, there, there are a lot of really bad matchmakers. Um, there are a lot of people who fix people up, who do a terrible job. You know, you just have to be careful. I wasn't talking about getting fixed up. If you, if you like somebody and you want to meet them, get a matchmaker to run the interference. Right. Not, not, that, not that the matchmaker is recommending or setting you up. It's just that you don't want to have misunderstandings. You don't want to put people on the spot. You go out after one date. At the end of the date, you say, so uh, are you free on Monday? And she doesn't want to see you again. But she doesn't know exactly how to say that. So she agrees to Monday. That's why people hire dating coaches, so they can be coached to say the right thing at the end of the date. <laughs> or get the coach to say it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, I advocate for people to speak up and to, and to really be able to say it kindly, because dating is a lot of rejection yeah, until you find the right people. Yeah, and it should be as painless as possible. Yeah, ideally, that'd be great. Yeah. Um, I have two more questions. One is, um, from your own marriage, I would love to know um, what, were, what are some of your greatest lessons about how to make a marriage work? Oh, a few things. First of all, the desire to be right, the need to be right, it's ugly. And it's a killer. Yeah. <laughs> like one woman said to her husband, you want to be right or do you want to be married? <laughs> <laughs> you can't have both. Mm -hmm. The truth is, in any relationship, wanting to be right is a nasty, a nasty habit. In business, everybody agrees. Don't prove yourself right to your customer. <laughs> Because you're going to lose the customer. Right. So customer is always right. <laughs> That's right. So there we understand. Being right is not a virtue. Why do you have to keep proving yourself right? So the first thing is when you're married, you don't need to be right. You need to do what's right. And that is very often contrary to your own opinion. You want to be critical, but you shouldn't. You want to be indifferent, but you shouldn't. You want to be preoccupied, but you shouldn't. Not because you're wrong, but because it's wrong. So you have to be kind of objective about your own needs and impulses and so on. And on the other hand, you have to be absolutely, completely sympathetic to everything about your spouse, as ridiculous as it sounds. Because if you're not sympathetic, you're not in the picture. One quick example is a guy, a couple that I spoke to recently, he had made an investment of about $30,000 and lost it. 
and he was very distressed. And his wife, very kindly, said to him, it's only money, it's no big deal. He can't look at her. He hates her. Why? She meant well. But she didn't share his distress. Right, no she empathy. She dismissed it. Yeah. So if she had said, this is terrible, this is so painful, this is such a horrible thing, but it's only money, mm -hmm. that would have been helpful. Yeah. But she dismissed him, and that he can't forgive her for that. So you always have to be sympathetic, even if you think it's no big deal. Mm -hmm. Because the reason for sympathy is not whether it's right or wrong. The reason for sympathy is to stay in the relationship. So if one of you is suffering, how do you dismiss that and hope to maintain a relationship? So be very objective about your own needs. Be very subjective about your spouse's needs. That helps a lot. Yeah, those are good tips. Um, I think that, you know, we, people are just uncomfortable with feelings altogether. And it's uh -huh. really hard for us to not be in judgment, not be in solution, not be in let's fix it. Let's get out of it's uncomfortable. I don't want to stay here any longer. So it's, it's, um, this is what people do all the time or give unsolicited advice. And that's really annoying too. So we could, we could go on and on. Um, so final question is, what's one last word of advice for anyone who wants to go on their last first date? It's really tragic that sex has been reduced to a performance. It, it, it's so painful. Uh, it used to be that sex was intimacy. In fact, when you said intimate, people thought, yeah, sex. Today, they're two very different things. Sex has become very non-intimate, recreational, performance-oriented. You've got to achieve the maximum with every magazine telling you 13 secrets to better sex, which makes people crazy. You mean, I, there are 13 things I don't know? <laughs> <laughs> then I must be a real loser. It's terrible to become so self-conscious. Um, the physical, divorced from the intimate, it's toxic. It's horrible. It's degrading. After having sex, people feel diminished. A little, a little less than they were before. When a couple experience intimacy, physical intimacy, they feel more innocent than before. Because that ability to be intimate is the most innocent part of us where I can stop being me, where I can melt or dissolve into the relationship with you. That is the most innocent part of me. So after being intimate, you feel better, you feel ennobled, you feel right. After sex, you feel a little diminished. You lose a little respect for yourself and a little respect for the other, and it's just downhill. So it's interesting that this virus is forcing us to stop shaking hands, stop kissing, stop hugging, stop rubbing shoulders. Is there another way to be nice? Is there another way to be connected to people? This is really a good thing. Mm -hmm. Maybe we'll learn something from this. So we need to regain the intimacy of sexuality, it should never be separated. There should never be a recreational sex. There's no such thing. And, you know, when a man cheats on his wife, 
and he's defending himself. So often the argument is, it was just sex. That's the problem. That's the problem. Well, like this guy wrote, safe sex? If it's safe, it's not sex. Interesting. <laughs> it's playing doctor. <laughs> sex can't be safe. It has to be awesome. It has to be scary significant. Then, then it's intimate. Then it's, then it's overwhelming. Then it's bigger than the two of you. Something you just do, not worth doing. So let's reclaim the sacredness, which, which makes it intimate. So that there, there is no half-hearted peck on the cheek. Don't do that. Don't, don't, don't play with intimacy. Make it real or leave it alone. All right. <laughs> um, tell our audience how they can reach you. If you go online, that's about all anybody can do these days. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> if you go online to It's Good to Know, It's Good to Know, or Joy of Intimacy, hundreds of hours. Everything I've ever said in 50 years, it's all online. <laughs> it's all public. It's all there. So uh, if you have some free time these days. <laughs> it's all you got. Look it up. <laughs> Check it out. Awesome. Practical advice. Practical advice. All right. Well, thank you so much. Thank you for coming on the show and sharing your point of view about what's wrong with free sex and sacredness of, of intimacy and um, hopefully we've we've touched some lives out there and the solution to loneliness yeah thank you so much thank you and thanks everybody for listening today and if you love our show please rate and review us wherever you listen to podcasts and we hope you go on your last first date very soon 